We're reading from the very first words of the very first chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians. We're going to talk, not in a lot of detail, but in a little brief detail in a few moments about some of the, the context of this letter, some of the uniqueness of this letter. But I want to focus on, as we always do, some very revealing and um, instructive words that Paul speaks about his own life that, that becomes, I think, a challenge for our lives of, of those who are called in Christ. So let's look at Galatians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us in these moments that we gather, in the moments that will come after. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit, your word that instructs, your Holy Spirit that shapes us, that we may be faithful, obedient, dedicated followers of Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. It, uh, it couldn't have set up any better for me than it did. It was the end of my very first week of college. And it was an orientation week at Florida Southern and many schools. They, they brought all the freshman class in the week before so that you could get to know the other freshmen. You could make some connections. Uh, you could kind of get situated and, and um, kind of rooted in before all the upperclassmen came back. And, and you inevitably felt a little overwhelmed before classes began. And so all week long, you're in activities and you're, you're learning about the school and you're meeting other people and you're doing what... What is human nature? Uh, you're trying to, to make friends um, and impress people. You're trying to impress people. And um, so at the end of the week, there was going to be a, a big pool party out at the big pool on campus. All the freshmen were invited. And this couldn't have been any better for me because at the pool at Florida Southern, they had a diving board. And I've, I've shared before, I grew up um, just spent a lot of time at municipal county pools on diving boards. I mean, I, I learned every trick that you could learn without being an actual diver. 
you know, without competing. <laughs> I could do doubles, I could do one and a halfs, I could do cutaways, I could do backflips, I could do gainers. I mean, I was good. And so this was perfect. This was perfect for me because what better way for the 18-year-old to oppress others, especially the co-eds, one of which I'm now married to, um, than to have this pool party with everyone around and me be able to kind of show off. So I told people I was good. I told people, you know, I could do this stuff. Yeah, you know where this is going. Um, I wish this was a preacher story, but this is the truth. Um, very first time out on the diving board, you know, how many hundreds around the pool. I go off the end. I decide I'm going to do a gainer. Okay, now some of you know what a gainer is, some of you don't. But gainer is basically when you go forward off the board and you backflip toward the board. And it looks a little frightening. So I thought that's a good one to do, you know, because it, it impresses people. So I went off the board, started into that backflip, and I can't tell you to this day what happened, but all I know is I just stopped in the halfway point. The rotation ceased. Back first onto the water I came. Quite an impression I made. I can remember vividly going under the water. I don't remember it hurting at all. I'm sure it did, but I do remember vividly thinking, is there any way I can get out of this water without going back to the surface? <laughs> because I had meant to do something impressive, I'd meant to make an, and all I had done is ended up looking about as silly as I possibly could have. The sad part about it is, as I thought about that story, um, there's a number of stories that I could have chosen from my own life to illustrate that point. There's no shortage of times when I have sought to impress somebody or some group of people and ended up looking sillier for the effort. And I'm going to go out on a limb and assume I'm not the only one. <laughs> that we've had those moments when we seek to impress, maybe um, it's colleagues, maybe it's, you know, like when I was in college, Co-eds, there might be a reason that Tony didn't go out for me for a whole year until after that um, event. It, it may be um, bosses. There, there's a scene in the Broadway musical, um, How to Succeed in Business Without Even Trying. I don't know how many of you have seen it, but the main character is Robert Morris. And, and he goes into the office before his boss arrives, and he loosens his tie up, and he kind of dishevels his shirt, and he, and he spreads his papers around the desk, and he puts a bunch of um, uh, cigarette butts in the ashtray. And when his boss comes in, he finds him collapsed on the desk as if he'd spent all night working and just fallen asleep right there. You know, in an effort to impress. We, we, we seek to impress. We seek to, to make a name for ourselves. We seek um, to please people. And the truth is, we all have people that we, we want to impress. We all have people that we seek to. Um, uh, to, to win over um, by, our, by our accomplishments, by our um, successes, by our abilities. It's, it's human nature uh, to try to impress people. It's human nature to want to um, make a mark. 
And that in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we, we've got to, to be aware of that, I mean, because it, it's, it's inevitable. I, I, teachers, those of you that are teachers, I, I, I know that, that a couple times a year you'll have evaluators, administrators will come in and will observe classes and observe the teaching environment. Well, it's natural. You want to impress those people. If you didn't, I'd be more worried about you. I can remember in my first appointment as a senior pastor at the church in Oldsmar, I can remember being um, before the congregation as worship was beginning, like I am each Sunday with us, and all of a sudden in the side, because we didn't have a center back door, but it was a side door, in walks the district superintendent. Now, if you don't familiar with the lingo, the district superintendent is basically the supervisor of a group of pastors. He's the, the boss, if you will, the one that I am most directly accountable to. And at that time, our district superintendent was Kevin James. Kevin James, a great, great guy. I like Kevin a lot, but, but he is um, about six, six. Um, he's an African-American pastor and leader, and um, this was, um, like us, a, a largely uh, Caucasian congregation, so it was not hard to spot Kevin when he walked in, and my anxiety shot through the roof. My anxiety shot through. It wasn't because I wasn't comfortable with the, the sermon that day or, or I was worried about the worship service as a whole. It was because I wanted to impress him. I was 27 years old, and, and I wanted to impress him. What would you say? That was a long time ago, smart Alec. Oh, nice. Obviously, Gareth is not concerned about impressing me. Um, but uh, just like my kids, dadgum you. Um, but it was, and, and uh, the anxiety went through the roof. People ask me all the time, they say, you know, how nervous do you get before a sermon? Do you still get nervous? The truth is I always get a little nervous. There's always butterflies. Every Sunday there's butterflies. That's why I kind of try to, to kind of gather myself somewhere and, and, and pray and, and reflect. There's always some butterflies, but there are times that they get elevated. And sometimes that is largely due to my own desire to impress somebody. Uh, last couple summers, not actually last summer, the two summers before, uh, when I was away doing doctoral studies, I had to do a preaching class, and that was the most petrifying experience I've had in a decade of preaching, because I had to preach in front of my colleagues, and I had to preach in front of evaluators who were fantastic preachers, and I'd love to tell you that it was because, you know, I wanted everything to be theologically accurate. Of course I did. Did I want it to have good content? Of course I did, but at the heart of it, I wanted to impress wanted to impress. And I have to acknowledge that. And we have to acknowledge that. That's a human nature. I think everybody has somebody they want to impress. Businesses want to impress their uh, clients. Um, workers want to impress their bosses. Bosses want to do the same for their companies. Whatever it is, we, we have that inherent need. And there is not anything wrong with it. But we have to be aware of the, the risk that it has to spiritually misalign us, to spiritually get us off center, to spiritually get us off focus of the ultimate one that we're called to impress and serve. That's what, what Paul is talking about. Again, it's not that as if wanting to serve and, and impress others is necessarily and inherently bad, but it is if it supersedes our desire to serve God. 
because it makes us very, very shallow. As a church, we want to impress our community. We want to, to serve our community. We want to make a difference in our community, but that cannot and should not be our number one priority. You and I want to serve and impress others, but it should not be our number one priority. Because what happens is it creates a very shallow faith. I, I was thinking about Disney, as, as we're apt to do, and this week as I was preparing and talking about how well they impress their clients. Disney does what Disney does better than just about anybody I know. From the moment you arrive on a Disney park to the moment you leave, the focus is to impress you. The focus is to have um, employees or cast members that are friendly and gracious and smiling and welcoming, and they do it better than any place I've ever been. Trash at a minimum, garbage cans everywhere. You never see employees walking around because they've got their underground or not where they shouldn't be because they have their underground um, system. Everything is about impressing. But we also have to recognize that there is a place that sometimes that can become a shallow facade. You ever been behind the scenes at Disney? All those buildings that look fantastic. You ever seen behind them? They're false fronts. They're not real. They're, they're plywood, and, and it's meant to create an illusion of, of being um, on a main street or being in a Hollywood studio or being in these places, but they're not real. I talked to somebody not too long ago that would spend time with um, cast members um, in their break rooms and in their underground places, wherever they go. And he said it's, it's fascinating to listen to them because these people that are smiling and happy and welcoming and so gracious, they get down into the, the bowels of Disney and they let loose on all of us. You know? They're not nearly as smiling and happy and glad to be there, which is understandable because they've got to work with people like us, and I've seen the way we can be. I get it. I'm not criticizing them. But the reality is they put on a false front. They need to. That's their job. That's what they're called to do. But we, likewise, have to be careful of our faith becoming a false front. And that's what happens when our priority becomes about pleasing others before it becomes about pleasing the one who has called us. And that's what Paul's getting at here as he begins Galatians. Galatians is an angry letter. I want you to hear that. It's an angry letter that Paul writes. In, in Philippians, I've, I've shared with you before, Philippians is like a love letter. Paul loves the church in Philippi. He's so thankful for the church in Philippi. He is um, just kind of, he just glows about the church in Philippi. Galatians is the opposite. And, and if, you, if you kind of know the form of the way Paul's letters goes, you can pick up on that a little bit easier um, than it may readily be apparent. See, Paul begins like he does all his letters. He kind of does a salutation. Paul, an apostle, sent not by, by men or, or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the, the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. He's kind of laying out his credentials. He does this in most of his letters. But interesting thing, the next thing he most often does is then he gives thanks for the church. If you go read 1 Corinthians, go read Romans, go read um, the beginning of Philippians, what you'd find next is after Paul did, does his, his salutation, he does a, I give thanks to God for you. Every time I remember you, I give thanks. I am thankful for you. That's what he does. Thank, he kind of pours some sugar on the church. You know? He pours a little bit of sugar, a little bit of sweetness there. Okay, I want you to hear the next thing. Paul says, after he goes in, he goes into the prayer, grace and peace 
Um, and, and he does the prayer. But verse 6, this is where normally the, um, the words of, of thanksgiving would happen. This is the next thing he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. I am astonished. Not I give thanks to you. Not you're doing good stuff. Not pat you on the back. He's like, are you out of your mind? That's what he's saying. What is going on? What is happening there since I have left? You have deserted the gospel that we have preached. You have deserted the gospel of grace. And that's how he begins the letter. To call him into accountability. To begin to really try to straighten him out. That's what Galatians is an attempt to do. He wants to straighten the church out. Because what's happened is they've abandoned this gospel of God's free grace. We talked about this last week. And they've begun to follow teachers that are saying, yes, God's grace is given, but first. But first you must follow the law. But first you must do this. But first you must do that. And what's happening is they're following teachers that are telling them what they already want to hear. Because it makes more sense to them. I mean, the the free grace of God sounds like we would want to embrace that more than a works righteousness because a works righteousness says that we have to do something. But the problem that many of us have with a a grace gospel is that it seems um, counterintuitive to the way that we think. Nothing in life is free. Isn't that what we're taught? You know, you have to earn it. you got to deserve it. And that's not what the gospel of Christ is about. And so it, it's, people struggle with it. We struggle with it. And so what's happening is people are stepping in to that void, and they're beginning to tell the church what they already want to hear. Yes, it's grace, but first, you must do this. But first, you must do that. And they're doing, you know what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 4.3? He's like, they're turning to a doctrine that, um, that is pleasing to their itching ears. You know, that's, that's scratching the itch. It's telling them what, what they want to hear, what sounds good. And what's happening is these teachers, in Paul's mind, are not focused on serving God. They're focused first on pleasing others and having others like them and be enamored with them and, and impressed by them. And that is very, very dangerous. And it is an easy trap to fall into. The church, we fall into this all the time. We have to be aware. We have these kind of doctrines that circle around now that I think are very pleasing but are not very faithful. Um, the, Dallas Willard talks about this gospel of, um, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on exactly what he calls it. Actually, bear with me for a moment. Let me, let me refer back. What is... What is this is what happens when you don't follow your notes. You don't want sin management. He calls it the gospel of sin management. He says it's this gospel that permeates so many of us that basically says the work of God is about making us fit for heaven. That Christ's blood is shed and we are forgiven of our sins, which is true. And that's the gift of eternal life, which is true. And so the price is paid, so we disconnect from the world and we wait for the sweet by and by. We wait for the eternity that is promised. And that, that sounds good because it divorces us from having to do anything. I mean, it's Christ has done it, we've received it, and we can just wait to inherit it. But it's not faithful because God calls us to engage the world. Christ calls us to love the unlovable, to, to serve those who are in need, to care for the, the broken, the afflicted, the hurting. But that demands something of us. 
And if we're honest, many of us, me included, sometimes prefer the gospel of sin management. God's made me right. I'm forgiven and free. The responsibility, it ends there. But that's not, that's not the gospel. That's not Christ. But it pleases us. The prosperity gospel fits into this. If you believe, most often if you give the right amount to the church or to the evangelist or whoever it is, you will receive financial blessings. That sounds good. I like that idea. I would love to know that if I put $10 in the plate, God's going to give me 100 back. That's a great investment opportunity. But it's not the gospel. It's not faithful. It's, it's not who we're called to be. Sometimes you put $10 in the plate, and your $10 goes to bless another, and you just have 10 less dollars. And that's okay. But we love to latch on to the things that sound good to us. That's what Paul's warning the church about. But he's also warning, about, uh, warning us about being those kind of people. He's warning us about being the kind of people that seek to win the, the approval of others before we first seek to win the approval of God. I want you to hear the last verses, that it, the last verse that he writes that I read from this morning. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? What he's saying is that's what these, these false teachers are doing. They're just... Winning your approval. He says, am I trying to do that or am I trying to win the approval of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's just speaking about priorities. He's challenging them. He's challenging us to think through our priorities. Who is it in your life that you seek to please? First and foremost. And does that mean it's wrong to, to want to please other people? No. But when they become your priority... When they become your priority, when others become your priority, first and foremost, above our service to God in Christ, then we've spiritually got it backwards. We've, I, I keep this sign in my office. I've, I hang it on my board. And um, you, you have to understand, I hang things up very often in the office because I need them. I don't, most people don't see them. Most of you have never seen the things I have hanging in my office. So I hang things up because it speaks and challenges me, because it's my struggle. And this is what one of my signs says that I read pretty much every day. It says, I can't please everyone. In fact, I'm not even going to try. Or perhaps, pleasing everyone with my ministry is impossible. It wastes the time of our most faithful servants, and it annoys our wonderful staff. Forgive me for focusing on the one I am trying to delight. Forgive me. Now, I didn't write that, but I found it. And it spoke to me because I know I have a problem that Paul addresses. I get it backwards sometimes. I get it backwards. It's a preacher's dilemma. I love it when the sermons I, I preach speak to you. I love it when you like the stuff I say. But I'm going to be honest. If you like every sermon I preach, I'm not preaching very faithfully. I'm not. I had to send you out of here every once in a while, ticked off. <laughs> and I hope I do. I hope I do. I'm not because I want to offend you, but because Christ calls us to preach faithful, to be faithful, to honor Him. And sometimes Christ calls us to accountability. Christ overturned the tables. Christ challenged the disciples. He didn't say things that always pleased people. He told thing, people crazy things like, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the left also. That's nuts. <laughs> somebody asks for your cloak, give them your shirt as well. If they ask you to walk one mile, 
walk too. Jesus didn't say things. In fact, he says, am I calling you to the easy way? But sometimes we have to ask ourselves, who do we seek to please? Who are we seeking to please? Who am I seeking to please? The reality is when we first seek to serve Christ, we will have an impact on others. We will have an impact. We won't please everybody. Now, now the language changes. You're not going to please everybody. But you will impact the world because the power of Christ works within us. I started to think about um, women like Mother Teresa who changed the world by serving the poorest of the poor. And not everybody agreed with what she did or why she did it. But you can't argue where her heart was. Or, or um, men like Billy Graham, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., John Wesley, changed the world, impacted the world. But I believe in as much as anybody can make a statement about another person's heart, which is to say only God can, but I believe the evidence of their lives is this. They sought first and foremost to serve Christ. And in serving Christ, they changed the world. They impacted lives. It's truth for us. We seek to please the one who has called us to faithfulness. And in doing that, we leave an impact. We impress upon others. They may not always like it, but it's faithful. That becomes the challenge. The question that we leave today with is, is simply but profoundly this. In your life, who do you seek to impress? Who is first and foremost the object or the one who you desire to please? And if there's any name above Christ, then we need to take a spiritual inventory because we're called, like Paul, to serve the one who's called us. That's what Paul says. I'm not sent by man. I'm sent by God, and I serve him first and foremost. That's who we're called to be. So leave today with this question in your heart, in your minds. Who is it that you seek to impress? Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your grace with us. Um, because we so often just, we, we get it backwards. And we forget that, that we're called to first and foremost serve the one who gave his life for us. We don't do it out of some empty obligation. We do it because you have served us. You have loved us. You've given your life for us. And in the blood of Christ, we are forgiven and set free. And Lord, help us to then live our lives as a response of gratitude to that gift. To serve Christ. And in doing so, we will serve and love others. We will have an impression upon others. They will not always be pleased, but we will always seek to be faithful. Lord, may that be the motivation of our heart and the testimony of our lives. We pray it in Christ Jesus. Amen.